This podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. Will, this episode of Tofu Up is brought to you by Movement Watches. Oh yeah, okay. Uh, the, the watch people. Movement, the watch people. <laughs> Yes, like we didn't discuss this off air. Yeah, I know, but I mean, that's who it's brought to us by, Movement the Watch People, who are also the sunglass people, but this week, for the sake of this episode, are back to being the watch people. Join the movement today. Go to movement.com forward slash TOEFOP. The following episode of TOEFOP is rated M.A. It may contain Batman references, time travel references, sexual references, lost trains of thought, and mild course language. TOEFOP advises that the program is not suitable for anyone under the age of 15 or anyone who enjoys succinct, coherent conversation that might actually have a point. Minors must be accompanied by a parent, guardian or priest. This is John Deke speaking. Relax, this is Tofop. I'm Charlie Clawson. I'm Will Anderson. And Charlie, we're developing, yeah. we're learning, we're moving forward because here's the thing. Yep. Yeah. And here's the sign. Uh, I took a swig of my delicious delicious beverage before yeah. it was a time to say my name. Normally I take I know, it exactly <laughs> as it's time to say my name. And I really feel proud of the fact that I took it slightly before then. But I did see you swigging it and your eyes widened when you realised I have to swallow this before I get to my own introduction. Yeah, I mean, look, to be honest with you, I it was you really, you really cut it fine. I'm taking credit for something, to be honest. I was about to fuck up again and then just <laughs> realised in the nick of time that I was about to fuck up again, landed it and then tried to pretend that I was actually meaning to do that the whole time. You've done that on TV as well, wasn't? Were you on the project or something where you took a sip of tea just as they were cutting to you? I'm not very good at doing television, Charlie, and yeah. uh, that is why I choose to not do a lot of it. And I think it's good <laughs> for everybody. I think both me, television, and the audiences appreciate that I realise my limitations. I wouldn't say that, mate. Don't be hard on yourself. I think you're pretty good at TV. You started on Hey Hey It's Saturday, right? That's right. Uh, Dickie Knee. Uh, uh, that was my first job. I was actually, they did it with my real life head for ages, but uh, they yeah. eventually replaced me with this. That Like it was a cap on a stick, which was really, I mean, it was a pretty terrible time. But it's, it's like, you know, people are losing their jobs to you know, automation and machines and, and, you know, artificial intelligence. That's what it was like when they replaced me as Dickie Knee with a, just a, a cap on a when stick. They re- when they revived Hey Hey It's Saturday, was there, did any call go out to you? Was there any like, hey, Will, do you want to come back and... Uh, what did you do? Well, you did a segment like The Great Aussie Joke. Is that what you are on? Is that the segment you did? No, I did a segment. Uh, it was... I remember it uh, fondly. Um, <laughs> <laughs> two of you had to bring in something from home and then there was yeah. one thing that was from somebody in the audience. But you all told the story of why that you know, particular thing was yours or not. And then the right, right, audience's right. job was to work, I mean, the contestant's job was to work out who was telling the truth. Or, yeah, it was that sort of conceit, yeah. right? You know, yeah. uh, so um, I was on with Kamal and Greg Fleet. And I've told this story on the yeah. podcast before. But just before the curtain went up, uh, 
Kamal, who was in the middle, turned to Greg Fleet and turned to me and said, you know, fellas, we look like a Vegemite sandwich. And when the curtain came up, Kamal was just sitting there smiling and Fleety and I had our heads in our lap laughing. <laughs> First time on was that, the, uh, was that the only time you did Hey Eight Saturday? Uh, I got a feeling I might have done it again at some stage. Uh, early on, I did, um, I did Hey Hey. I did yeah. recovery. I can't remember if recovery was before Hey Hey or after Hey Hey, but recovery have to be. Oh, right. when you did it, you mean was it? Was it yeah, when I did it. Um, yeah, I'm gonna say I might have done some Good News Week as well before I did stand up on TV. So I reckon I did Good News Week, and then they asked me to do stand up and recovery, and it was the worst. Like the worst yeah. experience. Well, of explain my to people life. what recovery was. Recovery was a Saturday morning music show, right? Hosted Not by really a guy called the... Dylan Lewis, who's a very funny performer, yeah. and um, yeah, it was for kids. It was like music clips yeah. and live performance, and just mucking about on a Saturday morning for kids, but about yeah. rock and roll and stuff. And they'd have stand-ups on there, and so you're in this studio of like, there's probably 80, 80 14 year old mm. kids. Like, you know, in the studio screaming at nine o'clock on a Saturday morning. But the way they set it up was that uh, the kids are behind you. So like for a band, that would look really cool, right? So you're surrounded by this cheering audience as you do your performance. But when you're a stand-up and none of your audience is in front of you, it's impossible to do stand-up because the audience who are behind you can't hear what you're saying. The only person who was hearing my jokes was Dylan Lewis who's standing near the camera. Who it was giving me something. Thank yeah. you. Like at least he was like an encouraging <laughs> performer. But all the kids behind me were just like waving at their mums at home and stuff like that. <laughs> I went and saw uh, our mate Cam Knight uh, did a show at the comedy store last night. And uh, when I go see my friends who are comedians, I'm an enthusiastic audience member. I like to kind of like Good fill idea. the room with a bit of noise just to make sure that there's something going on. But I think it had a backfire. Because Ken does a lot of crowd work where he'll like go in and ask questions to the crowd and stuff. And so he was just getting like, you know, who's been on Ancestry.com? And like, you know, ooh. And I guess that I must have applauded or wooed louder than anyone because he pointed to me and was like, oh, mate, so where? And I was like, oh, fuck, what do we do? Because he knew I was there, but he didn't know where I was sitting. And he obviously didn't know it was me. And so he started asking me like these questions about Ancestry.com. And I did not have what he needed to... (laughs) continue his bit but i tried and then i think he realized after about like five seconds he recognized my voice and so i basically just had to say cam it's charlie i'm sorry just go to someone else which actually got a big got a laugh. laugh yeah yeah <laughs> and cam had to explain oh that's my mate fucking up my act but that proves, like, sometimes if you have a really good bit of improv in a show, someone will come up to you after the show and say, uh, you must have had a plant in the audience. Or the, even yeah. the, the one that I love the most is if you get some horrible fucking heckler that you have to destroy because they're ruining the whole show, someone after will go, is that person a plant? And I'm like, yeah, I plant someone in my audience every night to fuck it up just so I can get <laughs> angry at them and ruin the momentum <laughs> of the show. <laughs> um, is- but that proves that you don't want to plant. In fact, the thing that you yeah. don't want in an audience is someone you actually know. Yeah, exactly. Because it's going to fuck it up. I was amazed though. There was a dude. Every time I see stand-up, like generally in those smaller kind of clubs, I don't know if, it, if this is a punter who goes all the time and so they have this natural sort of relaxed feeling, but there's some audience members who relate to the comic 
as if they're having a one-on-one conversation. Like when the comic asks a rhetorical question, they sort of vocalize yeah. their answer and nod or respond directly, like making eye tangle. Like there was this guy doing that with Cam. He's in the second or third row. And every time Cam was making like a, a point or asking a rhetorical question, the guy would respond and answer directly as if Cam was specifically asking this one guy for his thoughts on the subject. I did this show during the comedy festival and you know, it must've been a Friday or Saturday night. It was a hot night, whatever it was like, as in like the crowd were really kind of rowdy and up for it. And I was having a really good show and I'd done about 15 minutes and it was just one of those nights where you're in the groove and the audience is really up for having a good time. Like you just don't have to work to get them to where you need them to be. You can just kind of relax and do the show and it's just going so well. And then I pause for a second and I guess in some ways it's my own hubris because on nights like that, when you just bang it out, sometimes you feel like, you know what, I'll have a little pause here, have a drink so I can get mm. my energy back. They can have a, like a chance to kind of reset and whatever. And this one guy in the audience uh, took that opportunity to like make some joke, like try to extend my <laughs> joke or make some reference. Oh, and, no. Like normally... Normally, I would have the good grace and good humor to go, well, let's just make this fun. It's not what I wanted, but yeah. let's just make this fun. But I just, because I was caught so off guard, because it was just one of those nights where I didn't expect any speed bumps, and because I was having a drink and I wasn't really thinking, I just turned and I said, what part of the last 15 minutes made you think I don't know what I'm doing? <laughs> Like, what other performance would you go to and they nail the first 15 minutes? I can understand if it's a rough night or if there's lulls or if Mm. there's some shit going on. But if you go and see, like, Macbeth at the Sydney Theatre Company and they just, they roll into the first 15 minutes and there's a pause while they do a blackout and change a scene, you don't go, you know what? I'll riff. This is a dead spot. I'll I'll put some of my thoughts on Macbeth on the table. (laughs) Like, it just, you wouldn't do it, right? Well, it's kind of like... If, you, if you're making a fish-out-of-water comedy, like an alien lands on Earth and goes to see his first ever stand-up show and doesn't understand the unspoken contract between performer and audience, like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Like, this guy is throwing these ideas out, inviting discussion around certain things. Ah, oh, well, here's my thoughts on it as well. When he stops talking, this is obviously my... It's like conversation. It's my turn to chip in. Oh, Charlie. What? Yes? Uh, copyright toe fop, copyright toe okay, fop, copyright toe fop. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so, <laughs> and just pause for a second as Will comes up with an idea that's been done before, I guarantee. Go on. <laughs> a giant shark. Jason Statham fights a giant shark. <laughs> a team of hostages. Uh, sorry, uh, a, a team of uh, terrorists take a building hostage. There's only one <laughs> cop. Uh, it's Christmas. And a giant, sh- yeah. and a giant shark. <laughs> and a giant shark. <laughs> Okay, I've got an idea. All right, what's your what, what's your gold? Give it to me. So, um, alien comes to Earth. Yeah. Right. You, mm-hmm. you said. Well, you inspired this. You said you got. Yeah. Fish alien goes to stand up comedy. But here's the thing: yeah. the reason that comedians can travel so well, and the reason that comedy often works, like if you're from another country, like Jamoan, for example, mm-hmm. or like when uh, foreign comedians come to Australia, they can observe something that we see every day and because we see it every day, we don't realize it's ridiculous because to us, it's just how it is. But someone from overseas comes over and they go, what's the deal with this? And we all sort of suddenly have this thing of going, oh yes, how ridiculous are we? 
So an alien coming to Earth, like, would have the greatest comedic point of view of all time, right? Because mm. everything he'd be seeing with new eyes, and so everything would be, what's the deal with? Like, the alien comes yeah. down. <laughs> so this is a movie about an alien that comes to Earth to learn about human beings, but instead becomes the world's greatest stand-up comedian. <laughs> Observational comedian. Yeah. Oh, and the alien was meant to be the party that came down and learned about us so that um, he could destroy us, but he accidentally yeah. becomes. He goes to stand-up comedy, right? He goes to open yeah. mic to find out what people are thinking. He gets up himself, and because his point of view is so acute, because he's noticed he's seeing everything for the first time, he suddenly becomes this amazing comedian, and then so he doesn't want uh, the planet to be destroyed by his alien civilization because he's actually making a much better living now on Earth as the world's greatest comedian that he was on his planet. So he gets like, it gets planted on Earth and where he thinks he's going is like the UN or something because he wants to find out what, but he actually gets dropped at an open mic night. So what he sees is this forum in which people get up and ask questions and make observations to an audience. And he assumes, okay, go on. They, they, uh, they get Netflix, right? right. They're, tr they're tuning in. Like, you know, as in like they're monitoring what we're yeah. watching and as a way yeah, to yeah, understand yeah. us, they go, well, they've got this yeah. thing called Netflix that everyone around the world can access. This will give us a sense of what their stories and their cultures and their tastes are. Now, if you tune on Netflix at the moment, you'll realize it's nothing but fucking stand-up comedy specials, right? So suddenly mm. they get this idea that stand-up comedians are like, you know, the most important thinkers on the planet. The philosophers because, of, yeah. yeah. So instead of going to the UN, they end up going to the Montreal Just for Laughs Comedy Festival. <laughs> and so is it a thing where do they take human form or do they look like an alien? Like, is it like a, a grey getting up and telling jokes? And if it's a grey, does he get up like in that 80s kind of cliche comedian thing where he's got like a, a, a jacket with his sleeves pushed up and he's standing in front of a brick wall? Well, yeah, but also I think, you know, like in comedy, the great trick is like Ed Byrne, when he had long hair, he used to have an opening line about, I know what you're all thinking, uh, Darlene from Roseanne all grown up or whatever, you know, like <laughs> whatever it was, you know, call what the audience is seeing, right? So maybe this person looks human-ish, but alien and, you know, alien-ish. And, you know, so th that's kind of part of their shtick, you know, so they open yeah. with, I know what you're thinking, E.T., all grown up. Anyway, you know, it has a bit about phoning home in the modern age, you know. So, but does, does, but does the alien have an awareness of what he's doing or is he just making observations, which we interpret as being funny? Is he, he's asking legitimate questions like, what is the deal with human, uh, with sexual intercourse? Yes. You know, right. like, it's not like he's making jokes. He literally is like, <laughs> what is the deal with having pets? You know, you walk around scooping the shit of these like smaller dependent inbred animals. And everyone's like, oh my God, that's so right. We're so lame. Right. All right. So can you stop clicking your fingers every time you have an idea? It's quite obnoxious. <laughs> no. No, All I right. can't. No. Bolt from the blue. Straight at the top of my head. Bam. <laughs> All um, right, go on. What I was going to say was that you're right. I think that your story is more interesting, which is this yeah. idea that lands on Earth, ma starts making everyday observations, like literally is confused by these things, wants mm. to know what is the deal with, and then mm. people are laughing, and you know maybe someone even suggests you should you know 
go to a stand-up comedy club, you know, start asking those questions on stage just legitimately. No, what is the deal with yeah. that? That makes no sense to me. And Okay, I, I reckon this is our... So his spaceship crash lands, right? Right. So news crews turn up because there's this crater. No one knows what it is, if it's a meteor or like a volcanic explosion or whatever. And he's the first guy they find on the scene. And so they go up to him with a camera and a microphone and they're like, did you see what happened here? And he's like, what's the deal <laughs> with blah, 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 makes his first observation. And it's so kind of odd and funny. It becomes a viral video. Like it just like goes around the world. Like, remember that video, that viral video of that kid being interviewed by the journalist? And he's like, I like turtles. <laughs> and then for some reason, people just loved it. It'd be something like that. Like it's just such an odd, strange observation that it goes viral. And this guy becomes like Gangnam style. Like suddenly he's, you know, getting requests to go on like Late Show and all that kind of stuff. Charlie, this is for you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking stop it. Well, this episode of Tofop is brought to you by Movement Watches. Yes, baby, they are back on board. Hang on, Movement Watches? You're not talking about Movement, the sunglass people. Well, I am talking about the sunglass people, but originally they were the watch people. And they're still the watch people, and those original watch people are now kindly sponsoring this episode. Yeah, to remind people that they're also watch people. Because people, you know, here's the thing, Charlie. People might have met yeah. movement through their affordable and stylish sunglasses, and they might not know yeah. that they also make watches, apart from the fact that in every one of the ads we go, what, the watch people? <laughs> well, it's, it's kind of like occasionally like Dave Grohl will get on the drums again, and you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. Dave Gold was like an awesome drummer. That's how he started off. But then, you know, he started the Foo Fighters, became like a guitarist and lead singer. But when you see him jump back on the drums, you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. He's an awesome drummer too. Oh, I, I, the thing that I hate most about the Foo Fighters, because I enjoy their music, yeah. or at least their early music, mm. and, you know, I enjoyed their early music. Oh, you like their old stuff better than their new I stuff? I like their old stuff better than their new stuff. In fact, I like their old stuff so much, I'm willing to ignore their new stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that's how much I like their old stuff. But see, this is the thing is like they've robbed us of Dave Grohl, the drummer. That's the thing that I am annoyed mm. by because Dave Grohl, the drummer in full flight is just uh, like a work of art, a thing of beauty, you know, it's just an amazing thing. So what I'm saying is Dave Grohl, the drummer is movement, the watches, you know, just something that I'm glad a work of art, a work of art, a thing of beauty and something that I'm glad is back involved in this podcast, Charlie. Well, people listening to this show, would, uh, we would have heard, heard us talk about movement before. You know, they're the two college dropouts that started their own watch company. Uh, the company, believe it or not, Will, has grown like crazy. So who needs college? That's what I'm saying. I mean, that's what I'm hearing. It's the constant message that I get out of these. Like often the message they're meant to be saying is buy our affordable and stylish sunglasses and watches. But what I'm getting is drop out of college. In fact, drop out of college, save yourself those college fees and buy whatever the fuck sunglasses and watches you want. Well, they've sold over 2 million watches in over 160 plus countries and they continue to revolutionise fashion on the belief that style shouldn't break the bank. I don't know if you've checked out the site lately, but they have doubled the number of watch styles and they're still expanding. I have actually been to their site because I'm thinking of getting a new one. And it is amazing. Like, uh, they've got a watch for every occasion. Like, you know, I don't know... You're not really an accessory kind of guy, are you? You don't like sort of accessorize for, you know, daytime, nighttime. You just wear the same thing all the time. Well, right? you know why it is, Charlie. I'm not an occasion why? person. 
Like that's the problem. Right. Like that's right. know, see, I don't like occasions. You're not I'm not a leave the house person. <laughs> I'm not a do things that have been organized by other people person. <laughs> and so I don't have as many occasions. I like something that is just your sort of twenty four hour, you know, can wear at home, can take off at home. Well, what movement need to design is a Will Anderson limited edition, just like a flavor flav type, just a giant watch that you can wear around your neck. So when you're sitting in your office all alone at home, you can look down at your watch and go, yeah, I've got time to be lonely. Yeah. Well, you know what the thing is also, sometimes when you're on your se- you're by yourself, like sometimes, okay, you hear this argument, right? People go, oh, women don't dress for men. Women dress for mm. themselves to make themselves you know, feel beautiful and look beautiful. Well, Charlie, just because I don't want to leave my house doesn't mean that I don't want to get dressed up, that I don't want to look good for myself yeah. while I'm around the house. I want to still feel good about being in my own company. Yeah, I can see you like creepily Silence of the Lamb styles, like getting dressed in a tuxedo, putting on your brand new movement watch and looking in the mirror and just sort of like slow dancing with yourself to horses in the mirror. Teaching Ramona <laughs> and Winnie to slow dance. I'm slow dancing with Ramona and Winnie, like I'm, it's, yeah, in a mirror. And I'm just like, yeah, life yeah. is perfect. Movement have come a long way from being the crowdfunded kids working out of the living room, just like this podcast came a long way from being, well, no, we're still pretty much crowdfunded. We're just no longer in a living room. We're in two different states. Yeah, exactly. We've made it more difficult. We've gone backwards. (laughs) In the past year, they've not only introduced a ton of new watch collections for both men and women, but they've also expanded to sunglasses, as we've mentioned before, and fashion forward bracelets. Movement are all about looking good and keeping it simple. The watches don't tell you how many steps you've taken or blow your wrist up with text messages, uh, i.e. a you up. <laughs> so that's a uh, sanctioned copy. That's not me suggesting that people who don't have movement watches are somehow sexually promiscuous. But Sorry. New watch. Who dis? I don't want to have to type yeah. that. <laughs> it tells the time and it looks good doing it. Movement watches start at just $95. A department store, you're looking at paying between $400 and $500 for that. Movement figured out that by selling online, they're able to cut out. Uh, Guess who, Will? Uh, the bottom man. No. Uh, the top man. Cut out the top man. No. No, no. <sighs> Somewhere in between those two. I feel like I'm out of options. <laughs> no, no. Is there another man? Dead dead in the center. you got Sorry, the bottom again. man and you got the top man. Just I, The yeah. middle man. The middleman. Yeah, got him. Get that guy out of here and his stupid retail markup. Movement provide the best possible price, classic design, quality construction, and styled minimalism. Min- oh, I can't even speak. Styled minimalism. minimalism. That's a hard one. Say that five minimalism. times. Styled minimalism. 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 All right, minimalism. show off. Okay. All right, don't rub it in, all right? It's actually easy You'll to have say a job five times. The more you say it, the easier it is to say. <laughs> to get 15% off today with free shipping and free returns, Go to movement.com forward slash tofop. That's movement.com forward slash tofop. Find out why movement keeps growing and check out their expanding collection. Join the movement today. I love it. Viral video. Of course it's a viral video. I don't know why I'm talking about stand-up comedy clubs in the world that we live in now. Viral video is, of course, how it happens. Alien yeah, crash site, news crews there. Alien has slipped yeah. into the crowd being interviewed as if they were an observer of what has happened. Making some yeah. observations becomes a hilarious viral video. Yeah, and then this, like starts, like he, there's a request for him to go on the Jimmy Fallon show and stuff and he just keeps pursuing and people think, people think it's an act. It's like, oh, it's brilliant because it's almost like a Stephen Wright 
type act, you know, right. just real well, the kind of monotone, doing things deadpan. Like, too, like, take me to your leader, and they're like, yeah, no, you'll meet Jimmy before the show. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. Copyright Tofop. <laughs> um, I uh, am hesitant to talk about this with you, knowing your history of ailments, but I had a total... 41-year-old man moment this week where I fucking threw my back out. <laughs> yeah. And, oh, my God. Like, it was my own fault. I was at the gym. I was I was lifting heavy things. And I've done my back before. Like, I've strained it and whatever. But this was different. Like, this was literally felt it go. And it was one of those things. I've never had this before where it's like, so it's my lower back. The whole thing just, like, I felt a twinge. And then I was like, oh, I actually... Uh, I can't stand up. I can't straighten up. I was on all fours. And so I kind of like rolled onto my side and like shuffled over to a chair and sort of dragged myself painfully to my feet. And then I was like, oh, I can't walk. <laughs> like I can't actually move. And luckily like this trainer had seen it and said, so come over and he said, are you all right? And I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, I'm just not really sure what I should do. And he's like, well, just like try and stretch. Like, you know, just keep your back straight. Don't like bend forward. Don't aggravate it. So I tried to do that. And then I was like, oh, you know what? I'll get on my back and I'll try and, you know, warm it up, stretch it out. I got enough kind of movement in there that I was like, okay, I can get to my feet again. But as soon as I got out of the gym and into the shopping center, it seized up again. Like literally, it was like I had a, a plank running from my hips to my shoulders where I just could not, couldn't turn my head, couldn't lean forward. And it's like, how am I going to fucking, I can't, how am I going to get out of the shopping center? I can't walk. So then I realized that I'd been standing there for about a minute and a half, like just not moving. So I was like, I'm probably going to start Because local raising. children started handing you $2 coins. <laughs> yeah, like, that, exactly. That guy from home and away is really, really falling. Good statue. He's making shopping center appearances <laughs> as a statue. Dude, I had to pull out my phone and pretend. I was so self-conscious. I was like, I'm just going to pull out my phone, pretend I'm checking an email or something. And then I was able to make these like tiny little shuffling moves, like just little steps. So I made it all the way like down the ramp and into the car park. And then I got to the car and I was like, oh, hang on. <laughs> like, how am I going to get into the fucking car? I haven't thought this through. Opened the door, managed to get the seat all the way back. And like a plank of wood got myself into the car, <laughs> like almost completely straight, like on a 45 degree angle. So the top of my head's like that and my feet down to the pedals. Managed to drive home like this the whole way. Then I live on the second floor, the second floor apartment. It's like, how the fuck am I going to get up the stairs? <laughs> I haven't thought about this at all. Managed to get up the stairs and was like, all right, what do I do now? So I jumped on WebMD, which is great if you really want to fucking like become hypochondriac about what you've done. I was convinced I was borderline paralyzed because it's, this has never happened to me before. As it turns out, <clears throat> I called my GP, explained what had happened. He said, look, your back's just gone into spasm. The best thing you can do is just like put heat on it, rest it, anti-inflammatory, some painkillers. And then when it relaxes a little bit, then maybe go see like an, an osteo or a, or a um, masseuse or someone and try and like get some, some movement into your back. So I, hey, Movement, was, the sunglass people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they said, yeah. He said, you want stylish, affordable care? <laughs> so that night, Jen was away, thank God, because I was fucking miserable and like could not move without, like every movement was like, ah, ah, ah. And so I got to bed and was like, I can't roll over, I can't sleep. Finally called an, um, 
actually got a, got on a, a bus to go back to the gym to this masseuse because it's like I can't drive. It's too dangerous for me to be driving. But at least if I'm on a bus, I can be upright the whole way. <laughs> so like shuffled back in. This dude, Mr. Miyagi style, got me on the thing and put the uh, the hot cups on. You know, they do that hot cupping thing. Yep. And then proceeded to give me the most painful... It was like I couldn't see what he was doing, but it was like his fingers were reaching into my back, grabbing the muscle that had seized up, and he was just like twisting and pulling the muscle out to the point where like I was begging for mercy. Like I was tapping out, I was crying. And it's one of those things where he's like he's very good at sort of humoring your begs, your begging, but then continuing with the torture anyway. But by the end of it, like I got he's some like, movement uh, back. Uh, I could, he's like to be honest, I just own the cups. I'm not training yeah. this at all. <laughs> no, I don't even work here. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, no, the it guy was... will be in in a minute. I was just having a crack. I mean, I can't make it worse, right? <laughs> but I was saying to him when I finally got off, when I got off the table and I was like, sort of, oh, fuck, I can actually, like, you know, put my shoes on. And I was saying to him, like, so obviously, like, I was too fatigued when I was doing this exercise and I wasn't, like, I didn't brace myself properly. And he's gone, oh, no, 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 no. It's just that you're 41 now. <laughs> I'm like, yeah. what do you mean? He's like, oh, that's just going to happen more often. Like your body just doesn't have the strength or the durability that it used to. So especially if you're doing strenuous activity, it's going to happen more and more often. Yeah, you're meant to be dead by now, mate. No, your stuff yeah. isn't meant to last this long. No, your eyes are going. You can't hear anything. Your hair's going grey if you've got any. And then it's just appearing in places you don't really need it for reasons no one can really <laughs> understand your body is a ticking time bomb anything from now on could just give out at any fucking point what's that he died in his sleep how old was he 38 oh my god i'm five years into his fucking afterlife yeah i know everything everything's broken you're in your 40s and, and best of all like you just can't make a movement without making noise like i just everything now is like a, that's me. Like, what, basically what you've described is your one day is my last 10 years. I know. That's why I was reluctant to bring it up because I didn't want to sound like I was trivializing. But I can empathize. Having gone, uh, gone through a, uh, like a day and a half of like, I can't move. What the fuck am I meant to do? All of a sudden you realize how hey, your spine's quite important. Well, here's the thing, Charlie. My only hope is that my years of experience of dealing with this will then bring me back closer to the pack when all you fit bastards start having yeah, the right, same problems i've down. been having for like 10 15 years you know like yeah, yeah. you know you guys are like oh how bad's having a bad back i'm like mate it is really bad no doubt you're absolutely right but i've got 10 12 years of experience here like <laughs> maybe i'll just like you know i'll start to kind of move back for, you know there'll be the distance will be gone my experience oh you know what i am i'm a hipster i'm a hip hipster yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> arthritic hip hipster yeah yeah i'm an arthritic yeah Hipster. Well, I wonder though, like, you remember Tommy Hafey, that old AFL coach? was one of the fittest old blokes in the world. Like, there's always that sort of thing. If you went down to Portsea any day of the week, chances are you'd see Tommy Hafey at the age of 80, like, jogging along the beach. You know, he does his, like, five kilometers every morning. So it's Did like 100 push-ups a day or something. Something, something crazy like that. He, he, looked like, he looked like an old, tough bit of leather like he, he was like, just he looked all... like what Popeye would look like if Christopher Nolan made Popeye yeah I mean the same way that like you know Clint Eastwood had that same kind of like sinewy leathery like could still punch you out if you wanted to but do those dudes like just never give up 
I mean, what 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 drives him past the point of like, I've, my back's been bad for three days and I've virtually wanted to quit life. <laughs> God, this is too hard. I don't want to do it anymore. Like those dudes at 80 who are doing fucking 100 push-ups a day and jog- jogging, doing sand runs and stuff. Like, is that just a mental toughness thing or is that a genetic predisposition? Well, part of it is because they don't want to feel like shit, right? Like, you know, well, I have a friend who's like, they here's, would, though. here's how I fix my back. And then he showed me this program where he had to fucking lift up kettlebells and shit for six months and do underwater aerobics. And I was like, nah, too hard. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's got to hurt. Like, it's got to hurt. I mean, there's no way that... I, I tell you about this dude I used to see at the gym in Hollywood. I'm not sure if I mentioned it on this podcast, but... When I was uh, staying at your place in West Hollywood, I'd go to this uh, uh, this gym called the Eastern Gym, and there's a dude who would come in to work out, who must have been 80, like at least, but he was the fittest fucking 80 year old you've ever seen. Like I think he must have been a movie star once upon a time because he had like he clearly had some work done. He had this kind of plugs in. He had this sort of grey hair ponytail, and he'd wear these like aviator shades indoors, like when you come into the gym, and with we'd wear like a singlet, and he'd have like camo kind of combat pants on and then he would just jump on like the chin-up bar and start doing like straight straight leg lifts and like bicep curls and it's like you are so fit and in my head i'm like is he waiting for his agent to call him and say oh good news (laughs) like they want you for expendables for like finally the call like what is motivating you is it just is it just because you're driven to to look good or is it like you think that you know somewhere on the line they're looking for a geriatric action hero I don't know. There's something about older men getting really super fit that I find a bit off-putting. I've been watching... Well, also the- too, because you, you've got to, to, to maintain that kind of muscle mass, you've got to take so many supplements because naturally we stop producing testosterone and your, 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 your muscle mass deteriorates naturally. So for that dude to have the rig that he did or for Sliced Alone to have his rig at his age, like that's HGH, steroids, that's, that's all kinds of shit that's going into your body. Yeah, and... I was watching um, Gordon Ramsay has this new TV show. And it's basically he's like, you know, Hotel Rescue, but now he doesn't stay a week at their place. He does it all in 24 hours. It's called To Hell and right. Back in 24 Hours or something like that. And right, so essentially it's it's a fucking great show because Gordon Ramsay, uh, they tell the people in this like, you know, restaurant that's going to shit that, you know, they're going to be part of a reality show, but they don't tell them it's Gordon Ramsay. So, oh, um, right. So they go in like a couple of weeks before they put in hidden cameras in the kitchens and whatever. And so they do all this filming of all the shit that's wrong with the place first. And then Gordon Ramsay goes in in disguise and has what? a meal. So at the start of every episode, there's Gordon Ramsay, Mission Impossible style. <laughs> no. <getting into> a <laughs> disguise. And it's amazing. Like... He went to this um, Hermosa like beach. What kind of, of, like how convincing in the disguises? Oh, man. You've, like, even if you don't watch the show, you've just got it. There's got to be some Tumblr or something somewhere where yeah, somebody's okay. already... Michael, can you Google that as we're talking? Can you look for Gordon Ramsay disguises? Oh, what's it called? To Helen Back. Yeah, I think Helen Back or something like that. Yeah. Thank because you. I reckon somebody would have posted them all. You know, there must be some yeah, BuzzFeed yeah, yeah. article. No, I've got to, I've got like, to see this. Yeah, Gordon Ramsay's uh, disguises rated from eight to one or whatever. Yeah. So, because sorry to interrupt, but have you been? Have you watched any of the Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, who is America? I have not. Because he plays like a range of different characters in that, and I find the makeup to be so unconvincing. Like I am surprised that so many people have 
fallen for him because to me it's like if this dude sat down opposite me like that you're clearly wearing like a fake nose <laughs> that does not look real well gordon ramsay uh, does a good job of uh, so he goes in in a situation so for example there was one where he has a family that goes in with him and he's like the dad of the family so you know it's not like he has to be the focus of their attention or the only one doing the talking where (laughs) sorry (laughs) Uh, sorry mike allen just popped up the first photo of gordon ramsay in disguise he looks like seb gorka seb gorka's little brother i mean how would you describe that that's like a marxist uh (laughs) i mean what is that he's like a yeah he looks like an alt-right activist yeah that's exactly what he looks like he looks like somebody donald trump just employed from bright butt that's who he looks like <laughs> he's got like gray uh sweeping fringe little glasses and like a, a, a lenin-esque goatee that can't be him that next one you've put up no way the next one he's put up it's got a receding hairline looks more like a well he looks like a, a retired real estate retired real estate agent he's got a cravat open neck shirt that can't be gordon ramsay that that makeup's amazing that is mission impossible style that looks like to be honest somebody who used to be a beloved children's entertainer they've just found out was a pedophile that's what it looks like (laughs) i know it's amazing that two of his incognito disguises he looks like an alt-right activist and a pedophile (laughs) oh my god this just get worse the next one he looks like a lumberjack a guy, this looks like a guy who comes from the woods and you, it's like a mate of yours has disappeared in the woods for a year and he comes back and he's like, you know, well, I've killed things. No, you, you know, know what he looks I've like? I've killed things. You know the band Mumford and Sons? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mumford. He's yeah, daddy Mumford. He does. <laughs> wow. And there's George R. R. Martin in this next photo. I've got to say, <laughs> this, <laughs> this makeup is actually fantastic. They look like four different people. Well, maybe George R. R. Martin and, and Shane Mumford. Not Shane Mumford. What's his name? <laughs> Mumford and Sons. Mumford man. and Sons. They look similar. But the pedophile and the alt-right activists are just fantastic. Well done. So, right. There should be cool. more. I'm hoping Mike Hale's going to show us some more because we haven't got to my favourite one yet. So I'm hoping that we will get to see it. But um, So there was this Hermosa Beach episode and he goes yeah. in... Uh, dressed as a surfer dude. Uh, oh, wait, look out. Image is oh, loading. Hang on. Hang on. I think that's the alt right yeah. activist again. Yeah. <laughs> Just a different angle. <laughs> but that looks like a fucking mugshot. Even that photo. These are terrifying. <laughs> I mean, I can see why it's got to hell and back. Like, you'd feel like I was in hell just talking to him. I mean, what is is the is the makeup just a gimmick? Is it an integral part of the show? The think? whole thing is a gimmick. The whole yeah, show right. is a gimmick. Like, the, the, does he put on the, accents and stuff, or does he, he just use his Gordon Ramsay voice? Well, he doesn't talk a lot. He does a lot of letting right. everybody else at the table talk. But when he was a surfer right. at this Hermosa one, he did do a bit of a, you know, yo, dude, hey, dude. Oh no! Oh god! That <laughs> sounds. That sounds dire. That sounds horrible. Yo, dudes, what's Facebooking? <laughs> I'll catch you on MySpace. There's something suspicious about this guy. <laughs> he doesn't seem legit. Oh, man. So I what's love the show about? So, okay. So they find a shitty restaurant. 
Gordon Ramsay yeah. goes in undercover. Uh, then he reveals, he rips off his disguise and he reveals to them that it is he, Gordon Ramsay, and they are in a Gordon Ramsay show to hell them back in 24 hours or whatever it's called. And so then here's what happens. They stop mm. service at the restaurant. Gordon Ramsay just demands everybody stop eating. Like he, he stands up and says, everyone stop eating. And everyone stops eating because it's Gordon Ramsay. And um, then he takes everybody out to the car park where there's this like massive, like a tour bus sort of, you know, v ensemble. But inside it, he's got kitchens and, you know, like staff and whatever. So that like the kitchen staff, they're all going to go in there all night, like pull an all nighter and learn how to cook this food that he's going to put into their restaurant. And then in the meantime, the restaurant gets like refurbished and all these sort of things. And wow. everybody has to work. They have to ring. There's these scenes where he goes, get out your cell phones, ring your family, tell them you're not coming home tonight. And so like then for 24 hours, they, that, but so he gets everybody and he's got this giant screen on the side of the bus and he has this 24-hour clock that he sets up that's ticking down at all times, you know. But the other thing is they show all this footage from the three previous weeks up on the big screen in front of everyone and it's always the grossest stuff you've ever seen in a kitchen. Like people just getting shit out of bins and like poison uh. and ch like raw chicken and cooked chicken together and just like, just it's horrible. And like I'm really squeamish about things like that. And Amy finds it hilarious because I sit on the couch <laughs> like I'm watching a horror film. Like, you know, from scene yeah, yeah. to scene, I'm like physically like repulsing and covering my eyes and watching it through my T-shirt and stuff. But I love it. I'm I've never gotten into any cook. I mean, is it, would, would you say it's a cooking reality show? Nah. Or it's, a, a, it's a more of a makeover. It's a makeover show. Reno, reno, renovation reality show. But they teach them how to cook as well, right? It's a bit of everything. They're teaching them how to cook. You get a bit of that. You get a bit of reno. You get Gordon yelling at people. Essentially, normally, it's about Gordon fixing some toxic relationship. Which, what right. I, you know, because there's always by some brother at, and By sis, yelling at people. By yelling at people. <laughs> <laughs> like, often he'll demand that they sack someone. And like they'll sack someone in the 24 hours and he'll like bring families back together and he'll like, and it all happens in 24 hours. It's crazy. So what is his deal? Like he was just a chef from the UK who became a TV superstar. Yeah. By yelling at people. Right. Isn't there like a footage where he's like slamming some uh, burger buns on the girl's ears and calling her an idiot? Or uh, your idiot sandwich. But unfortunately, I believe that <laughs> might have been... <laughs> Uh, as part of a sketch on something. I don't think it's actually oh, real footage. Right. It's not a legitimate. <laughs> yeah. No, right, I don't want to go all I've Snopes only, on this, but <laughs> fake I've news, only seen Charlie. The meme. Fake news. Oh, we got another one oh, of those guys. This is my is that guy. The yeah, right. I mean, it's a little hard to tell. It looks a bit like a WWE wrestler, I'll be honest with you. <laughs> looks yeah. like Edge and or Christian. Well, the reason that I uh, started talking about this was that. The reason I was going to say was that he's got really super fit again. So, oh. yeah. So the reason that he looks a bit like a WWE wrestler is that he has that sort of WWE wrestler who's made a comeback sort of body at the moment right. where he's, he's wearing t-shirts that are a little bit too tight because he's so proud of his, yeah, the yeah, shape yeah. that he's in at the moment. Yeah. It's, it's kind of weird that it's, it's like when Dave Chappelle came back into stand up after that long layoff and he was like super buff and it's like, Whoa, I don't know. Like, there's certain professions and stuff where it's like, do you need a buff comedian? I mean, 
Are there many ripped comedians, like super fit ripped comedians? I mean, I'm there, sure there's fit comedians in terms of like cardio, but are there, do you know many comedians who have like really good bodies? Um, there's a bit more of it now, but right in the past, it was never really a thing that happened. Like Joe Rogan maybe was like the first one who was super fit for a bit and there was like a couple of other examples, but yeah, it felt like that's too much control. How can you relate to yeah. people if you look like you've, you know, it just says I've been trying too hard. That's what every time I see a fit person, like a super fit person, all I think is, man, that's a lot of effort. But that said, yeah. I saw our friend Osha, who's just yeah. recently done that sort of, uh, you know, same thing that you did for the, that health, same yeah. men's health magazine. And he just looks so healthy and so amazing. And, you know, it's been really good for him. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I caught up with Osh a couple of weeks ago, went round to his place for lunch, and I had no idea that he'd done it. And it was kind of weird because, like, he's not the kind of guy, I never thought of Osher as being overweight or big or anything. He's just, he just looked normal. Yeah, but, but he got fat shamed really badly by, like, the Daily Mail or some ridiculous publication like that. Yeah, right. Horribly, like, really horribly for someone who's been very public about their mental health struggles. They found some photos of him on holiday or on the set of The Bachelor or whatever. And they were just like, they, they looked like what I, they'd look like if they took a photo of me in the exact same stuff. Like, I'm not overweight, but I'm not, at, you know, my peak, you know, sort of fitness either. So just fine, you know. And they went to town like so viciously and so horribly. You know, I thought it was fucking yeah. atrocious. Well, I think a good thing about what Osh was talking about with the exercise and the mental health thing is how they go hand in hand. Because I, I honestly think that like the one great benefit of exercise for me is the mental health thing. Like there is something about the exercise for me, even if exercise is just a walk, like I kind of can't live without it now. I noticed that when I was traveling because I didn't really have time to kind of get to the gym or even go for a walk or whatever because you're always moving. And it just sort of... I just noticed that like my moods and my uh, my anxiety was getting more pronounced because I didn't have a chance to just kind of, I think there's something about like getting some physicality, getting your body moving, getting out of the house, like not being in the one spot all the time. I can understand how that can contribute to like mental health issues. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And you're a walker. I am, yeah. I try, I try to walk a lot every day and I agree with you. Like, I, you know, I think that, there is a connection. Like, obviously, I don't like leaving the house, so it's hard for me, Charlie, that <laughs> I have to... <laughs> One day, I just like a house big enough that I could go for a really decent walk around the house, but without well, actually no, to be leaving honest. the house. You just want to be like a ready player one. You just want one of those uh, those haptic suits, whatever they're called. So you can just get on your treadmill. <laughs> Stay in your office on your treadmill in a three-dimensional environment. Yeah, I can see the appeal. I certainly enjoyed that movie more than a lot of other people did because I was like, yeah, no, I, get, I see how this could happen. Yeah. <laughs> this is not a nightmarish version of the future. This is great. Yeah. To be honest, of all the options we have coming in the future, I'm fine with this one. Lean in. Don't you think, don't you think the, the, the major... I didn't really like that film. I thought it was, yeah, whatever. The major issue I felt is like the director that they got to direct it was too old. Like the that Shining sequence, which is the standout sequence of the entire film and it's amazing but what horror film like what audience is that horror film uh relevant to certainly not the target audience of that movie like wouldn't it be more like the purge or saw or, or something like that if you wanted to kind of like appeal to like a, a mid-teen audience oh yeah i i think the ing the ingredients of that movie made no sense like 
Yeah. Yeah, give it to a younger, hipper director and make that yeah. or make it a nostalgia piece and lean into that. But they just felt like they didn't know what they were they were doing and who they were doing it for. Well, I read the book and it, the film just plays exactly like the book. Like I was like, stop it with the references. <laughs> I get it. You fucking nerd. Like you made me like, I am a nerd and you made me hate nerds reading that book. Like stop it with your bloody checklist of D&D references, you fucking nerds. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care that you know every line from War Games. Who cares? Shut up, nerd. This comes from a dude who has a fucking encyclopedic memory for fucking movie dialogue. You made me hate myself, Ready Player One. <laughs> what if it that was the a... point of the film? What if Spielberg at this point in his career is like, you know what? I feel like I've done some damage with this over-reliance on nostalgia and it's damaging to the world that we can't move forward. You know, I painted an idealized version of the world that wasn't actually, you know, accurate. And I want to go back and redress some of this. And I want to get these nerds to actually think about the impact they've had on. And so the whole, the feeling that you had, Charlie, where you hated yourself was exactly what Steven mm. Spielberg was trying to achieve with the film. I, d I know you're joking, but I don't think that's far off the mark. I think there was a comment on fandom, like have the ridiculous uh, uh, lengths that people go to, especially now with the whole, you know, the Star Wars... When did Star Wars fans become fucking, like, Nazis? The worst people like on the planet. <laughs> it's crazy. But the whole point of that film is, like, anti-fascism, yet they've just become the most intolerant group of people on the internet. It's insane. Yeah, and again, they haven't, of course. A loud vocal minority has ruined it for everyone. Like always. Well, they would argue that a minority also ruined it for them. So I guess they see it. <laughs> yeah, a series of minorities. But we drove a couple of them off the internet, so I feel like we're doing good work. But it is amazing too, like this idea, this franchises that you love and that I love, the idea that I have any kind of control or ownership or if, you know, George Miller wants to fucking remake Mad Max and make a female the new lead that in any way affects my life or my enjoyment of the original films. No, it doesn't make any sense. Like, it, it's not yours. You don't own it. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, it's it, it is... In those cases where, particularly when it's the person whose story it is, they are allowed yeah. to do whatever they want with that story. At the end of the day, it's their story. They came up with the idea and they came up with the characters and they, t they took it to there. And if they want to finish it there, that's how they finished it. You can not like it. But I don't think this idea that somehow you are entitled to getting... But it's the build-your-own-burger at McDonald's thing, right? Like the yeah. idea that you somehow know better. Yeah. Well, it's also this thing too of... Uh, we live in such a... Like a post-Comic-Con world, post-fan service world where nerds want every film to be like a fan service film. They want nods to the original. They want to hear the music from the original. They want like lines that reference the original. It's like... I don't think that's interesting. Like, just go back and watch the original film if that's what you want. If we're going to revisit that universe, let's see it from a fucking different point of view. It's like what you always say about the Nolan universe. Let's see the same fucking stories of Dark Knight, but told from the point of view of one of the cops on the beat or something. That's what I'm all for that. Like, let's not just retread. This whole thing about The Last Jedi, about, oh, well, you know, we wanted to see Luke be the fucking kick-ass Jedi that he always wanted to be. It's like, but we sort of saw that. Like, isn't that kind of what happened towards the end? Like, at the end of uh, 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 Return of the Jedi, that Luke becomes this, like, he gets right to the edge of, like, going to the dark side. You see him, like, kill Darth Vader. 
If the character just come back and been this fucking kung fu master killing people left, right and centre, then what's the point? I thought they actually did something interesting with that character. Also, they did the thing, again, people know that this is probably since Empire Strikes Back, the only other Star Wars film that I have liked. So perhaps, mm. you know, the reason that all the people who love Star Wars don't like it might be the reason that I do like it. So I, I put that out front. But I thought the ending was the truest to this idea of what the Jedi is meant to be. Because my major problem with the Jedi is that a lot of the time they are as bad as the fucking Darth Vader mm. and the fucking all those dudes. What are they called? The Empire. Yeah. No, but there's something. What are they called? The, the Empire. Dark side, right? The Dark Side in general. The Dark Side. The Dark Side team. Yeah. Siths. The Sith. Yeah. All those guys. The bad guys, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Twisted Sith stuff. Yeah. You know. Sorry, I'm not very good at Star Wars. But <laughs> no, am I. I like that idea that what he did at the end was like this kind of like he used his brain. He used the force like and his brain and like trickery and like it's to me that's much more impressive that someone came up with a plan and carried out a plan and managed to you know trick the other side rather than they were just better at hitting them with a fucking electric laser sword. Yeah. I mean if it, the last thing you want is this it's like in um, The Dark Knight Rises when it comes down to like a punch-up on the street. It's like, ah, come on, man. Like, he'd done so much better. He'd been so much cleverer about how he solved problems. And then you reduced it to like a punch-up in front of like City Hall. You could have done better. So I think they avoided that. Yeah. And I do think in retrospect, I did demand a version of that movie that didn't have that uh, line where uh, Batman said, I've come back to <laughs> fucking a, fight you or whatever it is. You've come back to, you've come back to die with your city? No. <laughs> I've come back. What is I've come back to stop you. I've come back to say thought, something unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Before you have a heart attack, let's wrap it up. Uh, if you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash tofop. You can also go to movement.com forward slash tofop. And uh, you, once you put our code in, they get a little message that, uh, that, that, you, that we sent you. And so we get a little kickback. Um, you can support us on Patreon for any amount. It's a monthly amount. You get access to Quantum Cop, which issue three is now out on Patreon. It's amazing. Uh, you get access to our Q&A videos, a bunch of behind-the-scenes photographs. Um, the uh, Tofop 100 book is online there now, so there's a bunch of stuff to check out if you want to support us on Patreon. You can also go to our website to check out our other shows, and if you want to send us a message, there's a little tab that Mike Howell's put on the website, tofop.com. It's a little tab called Hey Tofop. Click on that, and you can send us a message. I did go through our, uh, our T-mail this week, our Tofop respondents, but um, hadn't had a letter in a while. I'm wondering what you guys are dropping the ball. Like, we're getting flooded, inundated with Tofop respondents, and then it sort of dried up a bit. So I'm urging you, please, <laughs> get in contact with us. Ask us questions. If there's stuff about the show you want to know, if there's an unfinished story from a past episode you'd like us to revisit, bring it up because we need content. And uh, maybe people are waiting until we have our fax machine. Ah, fuck, I know. All right, I'll get on to it this week. I couldn't walk this week. It was the idea of going to Office Space, uh, Office Space, going office to Gumtree. <laughs> I don't know why I said that. The idea of going to Gumtree and uh, uh, having to drive to someone's house and, and, and buy a fax machine when I couldn't walk soon too much. But I will. I'm definitely getting a fax machine. I've contacted IINet. Apparently, all I need to do is just get a phone number. So I'll plug it in and it's going to be a waste of money. <laughs> if they saw you hobble in and buy a fax machine, they might think that you're a time traveler. They're like, he's clearly yeah. a time traveler who's in another body. <laughs> he wants a fax machine. <laughs> he's clearly an old man in a young man's body. Have you got any shows to promote? Uh, yeah, I am doing my legal show at the Sydney Opera House with Justin Hamilton, uh, October the 13th. And I'm also going to Bendigo, uh, Pakenham, uh, Noosa, 
Townsville, I believe, when we get the contract done, and uh, then uh, some other places after that. But the Sydney Opera House is the the big one. Um, always love doing the show at the Opera House and love doing it with uh, Hamo. And uh, this is my favourite show that I've ever done. So I'm looking forward to taking it to the Opera House. So come out and say that. Will, all over Australia, go buy a ticket and support the show on patreon.com forward slash TOEFOP or go to movement.com forward slash TOEFOP and let them know we sent you. I'm Charlie Clawson. <laughs> <laughs> you really nailed that, by the way, that dismount. Thanks. I know I've ruined it now by not saying my name, <laughs> you but fucked it. that was real good. And I get no joy out of ruining you doing it really well. I'm Will Anderson. <laughs> this podcast is part of the Planet Broadcasting Network. Visit planetbroadcasting.com for more podcasts from our great mates. I mean, if you want, it's up to you.